What a God. So the Bible is our sole source of truth. It is God's method for communicating to us primarily. We know he exists because of what he's made, but we know what he's like because of what he's written. And we know what we're like because of what he has written. So everyday hope, like all of God's church, is founded on the truth found only in God's word. So I would encourage you, if you brought a Bible, to open with me, or if you just want to listen, that's fine. We're going to turn to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. Colossians is after the Gospels and Romans, after Acts and Romans, and you keep going a little bit further. Gentiles, Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. And we'll spend the next weeks and months walking through this book together, so I'd encourage you to read it. I mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, there are no church that uh, we don't gather together for a service. I don't mean we don't gather together. Uh, what I find interesting is that there are no descriptions of what we're supposed to do on Sunday specifically, no order of events. There are real no Sunday morning gatherings that are described in detail. We see the church gathering together a couple times, uh, maybe even spontaneously in the book of Acts. Does that mean God doesn't care about church? Absolutely not, because Jesus said, I'll build my church. That's what he's doing. It's what he, he died for his church. Church is incredibly important. And again, when I define church, I, meant, I mean what God is doing through the people he's redeeming. So we're going to think about that. And we're going to do it the way God is designed for us to think about it, I think, is how we read through the New Testament specifically, and we see God describing relationships between people. We see God working in people's lives and changing them through the message of the cross and who Jesus is and how people respond. And there are certain um, places in Scripture where we see the heart of God and uh, in a unique way. And I think this book of Colossians is one of them. Let me tell you just a little bit about it. We know God inspired the Bible. It's written by him. He used humans to do it. So the human who was taking involved in this was a man named Paul. And when he wrote this letter, and it was written as a letter to a group of Jesus followers in a city called Colossae, which is now in the country of Turkey. And uh, so the Colossians is, that's some secret kind of code word. It just means there is a church in Colossae, and this is written to that church there. And Paul wrote it while he was in jail in the city of Rome. And if you are participating in the study of the book of Acts, we know that Paul was sent to Rome because of his testimony for Christ, and, and he was incarcerated there. And while he was there, Jesus used him to reach others, God used Paul to write part of the Bible, including this. So while in jail in the city of Colossae, that's, uh, we didn't put enough insulation in the walls, Greg. So next building, we'll get another chance. That's the sign of life, if you didn't know what that was. So that's a good sound. Thank you. So while incarcerated, not because Paul wrote, he didn't rob a bank, he didn't kill somebody. Well, he did, actually. He was a murderer, but that's not why he's in jail. Now, he's in jail because he loved God and loved others and was serving them. 
And God has promised that those who follow him will suffer difficulties and persecution. So Paul is in jail, writing to these group of believers. So let's now think about it specifically as we read the first eight verses of Colossians chapter 1. So Colossians 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it is also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit, Let's pray. God in heaven, as we spend some time dwelling upon what we have just read, help us to remember it is a clear message from God to the people he made. I would pray that the words I would speak would be the words you would want me to speak, and the words that people hear would be the words you want them to hear, and the thoughts that we have are the thoughts you want us to have. Lord, just like the rest of life, we're easily distracted. There are many distractions even in this room. So we're thankful that your word is powerful and alive, and your spirit is active in using it, and we Lean upon those truths even now. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this man, Paul, this church, and Paul's friends, let me just kind of give you a description of Paul here. And remember, Paul is not Superman. He's not the alpha Christian. He's a Jesus follower like all of us in the privilege we have of following Paul as he followed Jesus because what God has done for Paul is what he's doing for all of us so think of this here's what Paul is going through Paul is a suffering servant of the saints for the Savior's glory did you catch that I'll say it again he's a suffering servant of the saints for the Savior's glory and that's what the church is all about he's incarcerated he's in jail he shows he's a servant for the saints' sake and for the Savior's glory. So look at verse 1 with me. Paul identifies himself to these people. He's never been there. He doesn't know these people personally. And so he's saying this about himself. I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, is with me. Now, interestingly about Timothy, he's not been arrested He's not imprisoned, but he's with Paul 
because Paul needs some help. He's with Paul because he loves Paul. He's with Paul because he loves Jesus, and he loves what Paul is doing for Jesus. Now, Paul says he's an apostle. That's a word we use around church a lot. It's a word in the Bible. It is an important word. Paul is an apostle. He is a sent one. Sent by God. Sent by Jesus Christ. By the will of God. Now, when you think about God's will, let me think about it two ways. We have this technical term called God's sovereign will. It means God says, I want it to happen because I'm God and it will happen. Like, it will rain. You will be born. You will die. All of the events that ever happen are part of God's sovereign plan. It means the rule of a king. And it was God's rule choice as a king to say, Paul, you will be my apostle. But the word will also has another meaning. His moral will. His will on how we're to live and make choices. And... Like it's God's will that we love each other. That's his moral will. It's God's will that we don't hurt each other. We don't steal or kill or do bad things to their bodies. That's part of God's moral will. Sometimes we choose to break that will. I think both are probably here. God decreed that Paul would serve him, but God also wanted Paul to serve him. Just like he wants all of us to serve him. And who is he serving? Look at verse 2. Who is this letter written to? Saints and faithful brethren. A saint means someone who's set aside for a specific purpose. And we've talked about this room being sanctified, another word for being set apart. Uh, this is a room, and we, use, we set it apart for this purpose to gather together. But even more so, we're set apart. That's what the word saint means. It, there are some people who identify... Uh, with God and, and they'll say that a saint is you pass some tests and you perform some miracles you get to be that's not what the Bible talks about at all if you are a Jesus follower who is born again you're a saint that means you've been set apart by God it has nothing to do with you how good you are it has everything to do with how good God is and what he's done through you and for you and so he's writing to these saints and faithful brethren all oh, faithfulness is so important consistency it shows you really are part of what God is doing. And he identifies them as brethren. And that's the word I use. Like, hey, hey, brother, how you doing? And, and it's kind of a term of endearment. And it's a good term. It's a good term of endearment. But really, the word brethren is a specific term. And people who are brothers, are siblings, have two things in common. The first thing, they have a common heritage. They have the same mom and dad. The same father. If you have a sibling or you have children, there is a unique and common bond that you don't, you don't share with anybody else. And Paul, even though he's never met these people, he knows that their father is not the devil. They're not spiritually dead, living in darkness. They've been called out of this, the, world, the world of darkness and placed into the realm of the love of God, just like Paul was. There's a unique bond, and we've talked about that already this morning in this room. And so we have a common inheritance. We have the same father. And brothers, siblings also have a common inheritance. A common heritage and a common inheritance. We're going to be in heaven together 
forever, rewarded by our Father for the way we live. So as Paul is talking to them, he doesn't say, hey, we have the same sports team in common, or we work at the same place, or even we're the same nationality. They're not. But what we do have in common is we have the same Father, the same heritage, we have the same inheritance awaiting us. All of that packed into this little greeting. And so as we're reading about the church, we need to understand who we are to one another and who we are to God. And so then he, still in this opening introduction, he says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is more than just, hope you're well, nice to see you. Now, this is a common greeting. Paul uses it pretty frequently. But I think what he is saying is here, as you read what is being written by me, inspired by God, grace will come and peace will come. Grace is that wonderful blessing that we receive even though we don't deserve it. Unmerited favor sometimes. And as we read about who God is and what he's doing and how to respond, he gives us unmerited favor and also peace. Now, we're all interested in that whether we admit it or not. You want good things and you want peace. And I would suggest you spend a lot of time trying to obtain it and achieve it. I do anyway. Maybe it's just 8.15 after bedtime. Maybe it's Friday night. It's the weekend. Whatever it is, you're looking for peace. You're looking for blessing. Are you looking for it from God, who is your Father? Because Jesus Christ is your Lord. If you're looking for some other place other than God being your Father, through Jesus Christ being your Lord, you may obtain it temporarily, but it will be fleeting and ultimately disappointing. So let me just ask you this question. How do you, how do you identify yourself? What do you think of yourself? Do you identify as someone who is a child of God, chosen by him, participating in his will, and being used by him in, in the world that he has created, a sent one by God who is set apart for his purposes? Is that how you th- think of yourself? Is that how you relate to others? That's how Paul did. And that's how we should as well if, we're, if we are part of, his, uh, part of his church. So Paul here is not writing about himself. He's writing about them and ultimately writing about God, of course. So look at verse 3. He is thankful for these people. What is he thankful for? He is, oh, he's thankful that he knows something that's true about them. Uh, I saw an accident this morning on my way to church, and I got there before the uh, police and the emergency and all that thing. Body, a person's laying on the ground. They were alive when I left. Life flight was coming. Uh, I was thankful for something about them. They're, they're alive. <laughs> you should see the car. And they ran into a house across the street from us. There was something about them I was thankful for. So Paul is the same way here. I'm thankful for something about you. Maybe if you're a parent or you're a friend, you're thankful. I am so thankful for, for you. On your behalf, I'm, I'm thankful that the doctor's report came back in a way that was the way you wanted to. I'm so thankful that you got the... It's part of the human experience in the relationship where the people we love experience blessing. We're thankful for that. So here's Paul giving thanks for these people he doesn't know, 
but he has a common inheritance, inheritance and he has a common uh, heritage with them. In verse 3, he says, I give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just what he said a second ago. The one we receive grace from, the one we receive peace from, is the one we should be thankful to. And so, how does he express this thankfulness? By talking to God. He says, praying, I'm, I'm praying for you. Now, we, we talk to people about other people all the time, don't we? I, I, mean, I talk about you. Don't you talk about me? Don't you talk about you? Yeah, of course we do. But do we talk to God about each other? Yeah. Well, you should. If we talk to God about somebody before we talk to somebody else about somebody, well, that's a whole other message. So he's talking to God. I'm praying always for you. Now, that doesn't mean every moment he's awake, but it shows a level of priority. These people who I don't know, it is such a huge priority to me that I'm always praying for them because of who God is and who they are to me and who they are to God. Why? Look in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. We're going to start seeing like a, a tapestry and there's, there are going to be these threads that go through that weave all this together. One of them here is faith. Paul talks about faith all the time. It's a pretty important word. It's a pretty important word. And if we don't have it, there's a serious problem. I'd like to suggest actually we all have faith in something. It's this, this, this trust. The Bible talks about faith being the evidence of things hoped for and substance of things not seen. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith is a gift from God. But the real issue here is not if you have faith, because everybody does. The issue is what do you have faith in? Your faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. If your chair has broken legs, you can put all the faith you want to do when you sit down, that you're going to be on the floor. So Paul is saying, look at this. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, if your neighbor said, great news, great news, the milkman told me that I'm going to be okay. Well, they're rejoicing, they're happy, they have faith. But they're putting their hope in the milkman's report. Now, they said the doctor said it, you see. He's rejoicing that their faith is in Jesus Christ. Then he says this. I heard of your faith, and I heard of your love for all the saints. That's still in verse 4. God, I am thankful that they have faith in you. I'm thankful that they love the people that you bring into their lives, the other people on this same mission, the other saints, the other called out ones, the other Jesus followers. Because that means they're really loving you. Because Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God, and what's connected to that is loving others. You can't love God without loving the people in your lives. And so by them loving each other, it's evidence that they have real saving faith. He's thankful for that. This is the church. This is the body of Christ. This is what we're building here a congregation a community of people who have faith in what god has done and we demonstrate love for each other 
So we see faith. We see love. Here's the next thread. Look in verse 5. Because of the hope. Faith, love, hope. You're always going to see those things identified with what God is doing through people. Faith, love, and hope. That's why we call this place Everyday Hope. Because we, it's not a hope so like at 4.15 the Browns are playing the Colts and boy, I hope they win. <laughs> right? That's a hope so. That's not what I'm talking about. This is the calm assurance that God is going to do what he said he's going to do because I've already seen what he said he was going to do and he did it. Right? I don't have to hope that Becky's going to be my wife when I get home. She is, based upon all the other things that have happened in my life. It's not a hope so. It's the calm assurance that things will continue the way they're supposed to. And he's thankful to God because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. Again, what is their source of hope? Not a change of circumstances, or I hope that this thing happens, like I really have no way of influencing it, or, you know, but I hope so. That's not at all. Their hope is laid up for you in heaven. Where is heaven? Heaven is a place, yes. It's a place we're going to be, yes. But let me tell you something else it is. It is a throne room of a kingdom, and there is a king. Their hope is in this it's like Jesus is praying, your will be done in heaven and on earth. And heaven is the place where your throne is, ruling this universe. And so my hope is not on what's down here. My hope is what's going on up there. And so is your hope. And I'm thankful that, that you're not placing hope in something that's down here. I'm thankful that you are placing your hope up there. And that's what we are. We're a community of people rejoicing over the hope that each of us have. And now, you see, we don't want to keep that a secret. We know a lot of broken, hopeless people. I think we do. I'm sure you do. I know you do. Don't let our faith and hope and love be the best-kept secret in Wasion. Right? We need to, you know what we need to do. Right? And he says this. It's laid up for you in heaven. It's waiting for you. Tammy was mentioning 1 Peter earlier. Boy, you ought to read that. It talks about the inheritance that's waiting for us. Read chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Boy, that's awesome. It's laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. What is your source of truth? Where do you go for truth? The Bible says there's good news. That's gospel. The good news is that there is a heaven for those who live by faith in what Jesus has done and follow him as their Lord and Savior. It's waiting for us. And it's come to you as has in all the world. You see, this is verse 6. It's come to you, believers in Colossae, and it's going to everybody. There's only one message of hope. There's only one distributor of grace. It's this. There's no other place in the world that you can go and find another one. It's that one alone. That is our message. And look what it does. Look in verse 6 again. It has come to you as, as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God and truth. Church is described by the basket of fruit. It's known by what's inside the basket. And so as Paul here is writing to this group of believers and we're seeing really God teaching us about what church is through the relationships of his people, 
We see Paul relating to this church in Colossae. That's how we're learning what God is doing and who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. He's saying there's this fruit. Fruit is just evidence, right? What kind of tree is that? Oh, hmm, banana. Oh, pineapple, whatever. We examine the fruit. We know what kind of tree it is. You see, things that are alive produce fruit. Dead things don't produce fruit. You're alive. You're producing fruit. Now, allow me to skip part of this verse, move down to verse 8, and then we'll back up again. He's talking about this guy, Epaphras, and he says, he's declared to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul's talking to them about Epaphras, and Epaphras is probably the guy who started this church. And so Paul and Epaphras know each other, and Epaphras is describing these guys. They have love in the Spirit. You see, that is a sign of life. It's a sign of what God is doing. We call that the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Remember, those aren't commands. Those are evidences that God is controlling us. The Spirit is leading us. We're following Him. And so Paul is pointing out a specific fruit here. It's love, which that should be the first one because it's the greatest command. So Paul is thankful that another evidence that this is the real church, yes, there's faith. Yes, there's hope. Yes, there's love. There's fruit. Look what's happening. This is alive. This is producing. What caused that production of fruit? Look in verse 6. Grace of God and truth. We will accomplish nothing without God's grace. He will do it all. No skill, no eloquence, no provision has any eternal value, just wood, hay, and stubble that burns up. But that which is done through God's grace according to his truth, that's what the church is all about. Now, let me just think about a couple of these guys here briefly that are mentioned in this text also. Timothy at the beginning and Epaphras here at the end. Just more evidence that it's not just Paul. This is the reproduction. We see that they're, they're probably connected to Paul's ministry. We know Timothy is and Epaphras is probably saved when Paul was in Ephesus. It's not just one man. It's you, and it's you, and it's me. This is what it should look like. It should be Timothy. It should be Michael. It should be Larissa. It should be Jane. It should be you. It should be me. It should be all of us loving each other. I don't know what Timothy had to drop to go to Rome, but he did. Epaphras. Look how Paul describes him. Verse 7. I learned this from Epaphras. Our dear and fellow servant, who is a faithful minister. And the word minister means servant too. You see, that's what we're all about. We love God. Because we love God, we love others. And what is love? How is love demonstrated? By meeting needs. Yes, there's an emotional aspect of love, but real love means I'm going to meet your needs. Physical needs, spiritual needs. And so Jesus said, I did not come to be served. Now, isn't that remarkable? 
If anybody should show up on this planet and say, serve me, it would be Jesus, right? Uh, by the way, I just spoke this universe into existence that you're a part of. Serve me. Now, we know ultimately that is part of his message. But when he came to earth as a man, he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So if we're not about that, we're not about Jesus. If anyone wants to be great in my kingdom, Jesus said, learn to be a servant of all. So here's Epaphras. Dear fellow servant. Didn't we have a testimony about that earlier? Men working together? That's what we're doing. Who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. We do it on behalf of others. We love God. We love others. We serve the world that he puts us in on behalf of them for Christ's sake. Paul, a suffering servant of the saints for the Savior's glory. To serve Christ means we serve others. Jesus came to serve, not be served. So why are we here? Remember that question at the beginning? Why are you here? Because of faith, because of hope, because of love. And we live in a broken world that God has sent us to, not just to survive till we get to heaven. Whew, I made it off that planet. If that's what it was all about, the moment we were born again, boom, we'd be in heaven. Right? He loved us here to love him and love others. And we demonstrate that love, not by just getting together in this room on Sunday mornings. Yes, we do. But we demonstrate that love relationally by being Timothy, by being Epaphras, by being the church in Colossae, by being the church in Fulton County, the called ones for his purposes. What a great start we have this morning. Let's praise God for it. God in heaven, thank you for the privilege of suffering like Jesus. Thank you for the privilege of being a servant like Jesus. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints that we have with one another. Thank you that you have revealed yourself that we can bring you glory through our choices now, Lord, we join you in setting us apart for that purpose. Help us to have no other purpose, no other reason for being here other than the reasons that you gave us because you're worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.